before I get into today's message, I just want to pause for a moment and I want to say a huge thank you early service people, not just you, but all the church, but to you this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. When we talk about the good things that Trinity does, we will often talk about things like feeding the poor, the meals downtown. Of course, Kathy oversees a whole bunch of that. Uh, we'll often talk about launching new ministries. We talk about our staff being sent out. We'll talk about church planting. Um, when we talk about the good things that God is doing, we'll talk about rescuing people out of slavery, human trafficking. Those are all wonderful. But this morning, I would like to say thank you to you and even celebrate another part of this ministry that I really love, which is deep preaching. Deep preaching. The other day I was talking with uh, somebody and they said that, uh, and I've heard this many times over, uh, that their son had walked away from the faith. Their young adult son had walked away from the faith. And so we were having a conversation about it, which I have had many times. And the lady said, she's like, I wish, I wish my son would have grown up in a ministry where you are willing to take on the complex things. You know, like Joshua taking out Jericho, or what do you do with, I mean, walk into the deep waters and give them tools to be able to survive. See, I really do believe that deep preaching anchors a person. In fact, often when I bump into people that say things, even family members, when people bring family members to the church, they'll say, well, I don't believe in God, I'm not sure what I think. And I'll ask the question, tell me about the God you don't believe in. And nine times out of ten, when they describe the God they don't believe in, I'll respond with, I don't believe in that God either. Right? Like the God you're describing is not the God described in here. And I, I don't know where your wires got crossed, but the God that's actually described in the Word of God is not the one that you've rejected. So let's figure out what this actually says. And, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank you even this morning sitting in this room, man. I want to thank you for supporting the proclamation of God's word in a deep way. It is massively important. The Bible works like an anchor. And so thank you for doing that this morning. We're getting ready to jump into a whole section of scripture. We've been going through the big story in the beginning, our origin, We've talked about the chosen ones, the ones called out, the kingdom of Israel. We're working our way through this. And then we're going to go to the promised one, the kingdom to come, a new covenant, and a thrill of hope. So today we're in the kingdom of Israel. We're kind of moving into this next section. And we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of, of, of kings, a whole series of kings through the Old Testament. And let me tell you, these kings are imperfect. Just like we are. And so one of the first things that I would love to do with you this morning is I want to walk you through, you're going to see this cycle over and over and over again in the weeks to come, how the kings of old fall, right? How the kings of old fall. So what is the process? And my hope is, just if I'm showing my cards, my hope is that you will identify with this process as well. Like this is how not just the kings of old, this works as a mirror to show how even we can fall. How do we fall? How the kings of old fall. So I've got this. You can go ahead and put the, the diagram up here. Okay, so here it is. This is it. If you look at this, now if you're on the podcast, listen to it on the podcast, I'll just read it to you. It's a, a circle, right? So here's how they fall. God identifies a new humble heart. He looks out and he says, okay, we got somebody that's teachable. And, and this is true even on Sunday mornings, right? When people come into the church, 
almost always when new people come into the church, unless they're looking for a church, they've moved to the area, there's almost always some level of brokenness involved, right? There's a humility of heart for whatever reason. They have done something, something's been done to them, they've gone through a hardship, they've got a humble heart before the Lord, they walk in the church and they need God. God identifies a new humble heart. Almost always in the Bible, this is the process. Then what happens is they gain, let's wake up a little bit, they gain that's good. I know it's the first service, but we got to do this. Right? They gain affluence. So they begin to get money and power and healing and influence, not just affluence, but they begin to gain power. And as they get healthier, as the world begins to kind of make sense and they feel like they've got their hands around stuff, as they gain affluence, they begin to have spiritual This is true too. I mean, like, think about it. When you're going through a really hard season, you're like, man, I can't miss church. I got to get before the Lord. I need to be in worship. And when you're going through a hard time, you turn to the Lord. Even as Christians, we do this. I'm talking about believers, how the believers end up falling, how even the kings of old who are supposed to be followers of God, how they fall. You gain affluence. Things start going better. You begin to have spiritual amnesia. And then from spiritual amnesia, they lean into... Arrogant autonomy. I got this. I don't need. I don't need to come. I don't need to be involved. It's, we're gonna. We're gonna do something different on the weekends. You know what? I. I know when I was really worried about my health, I was in prayer every day. But now that I'm not worried about my health, I'm gonna sleep in, stretch it out. I'm just gonna put some distance. Right now that the need isn't as strong, I'm not aware of it as much. I just create this autonomy, this distance. And then they lean into arrogant autonomy, and then what happens is cut off from the vine of life, they... Okay, you're going to see this over and over and over and over again in the Scripture. Some really humble guy, some really humble person comes before the Lord. God says, oh, wow, there's a lot that I can do with that teachable, humble heart who desires to be present with me. And then they gain affluence, they gain money, they gain influence, they, it's, they're getting their hands around life again. They feel like they're kind of on top of the world. And then they begin to have spiritual amnesia, and then spiritual amnesia, they lean into arrogant autonomy, and then cut off from the vine of life, they end up falling again. This is the circle. You're going to see this over and over and over again as we make our way through the text. And the truth is, you see it over and over and over again in and among believers even today. Man, I have countless stories of people that have walked into ministry fresh out of a divorce, financial turmoil, something terrible's been done to them, health scare. And they're in the word and they're present and they're before God and they wouldn't miss worship and they're highly, they're just in it. They're teachable. And then the moment God starts healing and making them whole, they end up with amnesia, they lean into arrogant autonomy, they distance themselves, and then cut off from the vine of life, they fall. This is, this is the story of humanity right here. The second thing I would say as we get into this one specifically, which is King David, the anointing of King David, we are entering this text as King Saul is in the descent, and God is now looking for a new humble heart. So we are entering the, the grand text here, right after King Saul has come into power. He's already kind of made his way around this circle. 
And he is already on the descent, and God is looking for a new humble heart. That's where we come into the text. 1 Samuel 16, 3 through 7 is where we're going to read. It was read earlier. I'm going to read it again. It says this. So this is God speaking to Samuel the prophet. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. Right? As they're looking for a new king, because Saul's already on the decline. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. This is God speaking to Samuel. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? Now, now notice that phrase right there. Samuel has a reputation of coming to these people and bringing some level of bad news, right? So as soon as Samuel the prophet walks in, the people are like, Whoa, 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 why are you here? I, I love the prophets of old. And he said, peaceably, this of course makes the people happier, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Elab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on on the, you guys know this, on the heart. That's right, on the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. A couple of things that we need to point out from this. Saul, again, has separated himself from God. God, Saul has separated himself from God, and his demise is of his own making. Now, this is the really wild thing. I'm not asking you this morning, now I'm talking two Christians, so two believers Oh, my Christian brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you this morning if you turn to God when you're having a bad day, though that's important. I'm asking if you still know you desperately need him when you think it's all going well. Right? Like, I get it. I mean, especially this is first service in a Christian church In America, this is the service where it's likely most people in this room are passionate followers of Jesus. That's the likelihood, right? Like, I'm not asking if you turn to the Lord when you're having a health scare. Good, I'm glad you do that. I'm not asking if you turn to the Lord when you're worried about your investments. Good, I'm glad you do that. I'm not asking today if you turn to the Lord when you're worried about your kids. Good, I'm glad you do that. I'm asking if you know you desperately need the Lord when all things appear to be going well. That's what I'm asking. When all things appear to be going well, Saul's demise is of his own making, and it began literally with the spiritual amnesia and the arrogant autonomy, and he starts speaking almost in place of the Lord, and it will become his fall. The next thing I would point out from this text that's important to note contextually, the prophet Samuel assumes a new king will look like the last king. Now, now hang, hang on a second. We were talking about this with the worship arts team. This is really good. You realize that even the prophet, if he didn't stay close to God, would have made the wrong call. Even the prophet would have made the wrong call if he wasn't staying close to God. Elab looked the part. To choose rightly, Samuel must keep close to God as well. And so now we lean into kind of the big idea of this text. God is not looking for the attributes man looks for. God is looking at the heart. God is looking at the heart. God is looking at our hearts. So this begs a really big important question. What is 
a good heart. All right, so um, I decided to do uh, a little survey on what a good heart is to try to get like a secular perspective of what this would be. And so I, uh, I talked to some people on the team. I had a couple of conversations this week just asking the question like, so no context, define a good heart for me. Then I got some words back. And then I decided to do a Google search too. Like what, what does Google say a good heart is? Uh, the sum of, you know, artificial intelligence. I don't even know. It's, it's taken over the world. Uh, but what, what, is some, what do they think a good heart is? And so I followed the first handful of links that Google provided to find a definition of what a good heart is. And this is, so this is the kind of current pop culture secular definition of a good heart. A good-hearted person, according a good-hearted person, according to popular culture, right now is basically this, right? Just running down a couple of these, these so anecdotally. They're authentic to their real self. That was massive. That was in pretty much everything. Authentic to their real self. Now, by the way, trying to run down a good definition of what authentic to your own self means is really quite difficult. Uh, some people think being authentic to your own self means uh, following whatever appetite is in you at the moment. So whatever sexual appetite, you follow it, right? You're, you're true to whatever appetite is in you. That was one definition, but it was hard to get a clear definition of what authentic to one's real self is. Uh, but it's somebody, a good heart is somebody that's well-intentioned, they're kind, and again, I'm trying to find definition to these, so I tried to run down what do they mean by kind, and this is the best that I could come up with, meaning that they let others be true to their authentic selves too. So a kind person a person with a good heart is true to their authentic self, and a kind person lets other people be true to their authentic selves too. So I tried to run down some explanation of what happens when the true to your authentic selves don't get along with each other. Nothing. Couldn't find anything. No real clarity. There's somebody that's generous. There's somebody that's tolerant. Right? This is the definition. Now, there's some real good in this. Like, this is not all bad. There's some really good in this. And so then what I want to do is I want to pause. Okay, if we have like a secular definition of what a good heart is. What does the Bible say is a good heart? What does the Bible say is a good heart? The fear of the Lord. I mean like... What a good heart is through history is always in flux and changing and following the wind and the waves and, and the Bible over and over and over and over again comes back to this idea that a good heart is the fear of the Lord. Literally, prime respect for God and his ways is the definition of a good heart. Psalm 111.10. You can look all these up later if you want. They're in my notes. Psalm 111.10. Psalm 119.9. Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 14.2. Proverbs 15.33. Proverbs 1.7. Isaiah 33.6. And I just picked Old Testament contextual ones. You go to the New Testament. And gosh, half of the New Testament supports this idea. More than that, right? Like mountains of verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That literally is what will compass a heart and make it good. Is the deepest respect is for God and his ways. So let me contextually give a little more clarity to this. Joshua 1, 6 through 8. So before King David comes on the scene, you have Joshua, another young leader that's coming into power. 
And then there's this really powerful, and I'm sure if you've grown up in the church, you've referenced this text many times over, Joshua 1, 6 through 8. So this is God telling Joshua, preparing him and his heart to lead well. What does the Lord say to Joshua? To support this idea even more. Be strong and courageous. Now, we will often memorize that, but then we apply those words, be strong and courageous, to not what the Bible applied them to. Be strong and courageous, God says to Joshua, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and courageous. Again, be strong and courageous. We love those words, be strong and courageous. But courageous and strong to what? Be careful to do according to all the law of Moses to my servant. Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and then you will have good success. Okay, so here's the big idea. What is God asking? What is God asking Joshua to do in strength and courage? What is God asking Joshua to do in strength and courage? Are you ready for this? Put God, his ways, values, and kingdom first. Be courageous to do that. Ruthlessly fight against distractions and keep your connection with God above all. Be courageous and strong to do that. It's a call to right priority. So basically we have this. A good, humble heart is an unhurried heart before the Lord. Literally, it's a teachable posture of your heart before God. I'm going to invite Josh up and I'm going to pull some of these ideas uh, together over the next few minutes. Let's, let's be honest as we look at the kings of old and we're going to even talk about David's fall in the next few weeks. We'll hint at it here in a minute. But let's be honest, leadership, if you're in any form of leadership, it equals busyness. Leadership equals busyness. Right? So God identifies a humble heart. And he wants to use that humble heart. And so he begins to bring affluence your way. Right? You get some success in work, some success in finances. God protects your health enough. I mean, like, he begins to really put you in a place where he can utilize you in a powerful way. And then what happens, like with every king of old, you get busy, and in your busyness, you get spiritual amnesia. And in the spiritual amnesia, you just begin to create distance. And as you create distance, man, that, that's, that's the dangerous place right there. When you think you got it figured out and you've put distance between you and the Lord. So now instead of being humble and quiet and still before God, you're out busy distancing yourself from him. That, that gap, that gap, that gap is where good followers of God fall. That's the gap. You know you need him when you're sick. You know you need him when you're scared. 
Do you know that you desperately need him when you think things are awesome too? You desperately need him when you think things are awesome too. To break the cycle of corruption that takes out kings, we must go to war against our rightly ordered priorities. We, we just, we must. We have to war, we have to fight. Keep out things at bay, are rightly ordered, right? And here's the way, I've said this a dozen times or more. If Satan can't steal your heart, he will steal your... If Satan can't steal your heart, he's going to steal your... If Satan can't steal your heart, he's going to steal your... That's how he took down all the kings of old. He knew he couldn't come before David and go, reject God. David's not going to do that. From Saul to David and even David's dark days, all the way through, a busy, distracted heart is much easier to lead astray. A busy, distracted heart is much easier to lead astray. A busy, distracted heart is much easier to lead astray. So let me say this with more modern language. Hey, my friends, we must take on our hustle. We got to take on our hustle. We are no longer victims to it. We take it on. So let me define rest. Right? Like, how do you keep your heart teachable before the Lord? Let me define rest. I don't mean secular downtime, okay? I don't mean secular downtime. What do I mean when I say rest? When we talk about Sabbath, we're going to talk about this a lot more in a number of weeks, but when we talk about Sabbath rest, what do we mean by rest? I don't mean secular downtime. Okay, oh man, you guys, you cannot miss this. Don't miss this. If you forget everything else today, don't miss this. Like the kings of old, too many of us ruthlessly eliminate hurry, the stress of life, Literally just to make time for more noise. Pastor Mike, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, let me say it really clearly. King David stayed home from his really busy work and makes time to stare at Bathsheba. Real rest will rightly place you before God. See, David's rest for more wasn't rest for more. He put down his weekly work and instead decided to walk into staring at Bathsheba for his rest. When you are busy from your work week and then on the weekend you binge Netflix or go to a beach and stare at girls at bikinis, you're not really resting. You're trading work week rest for another warfare. Spiritual rest is not mere secular downtime. Spiritual rest is putting yourself in a place regularly where your heart is before the Lord. You remember who you are, whose you are, and where your real hope comes from. If your rest 
doesn't remind you of who you are, whose you are, and where your real hope comes from, you're not really resting. You're in spiritual amnesia and arrogant autonomy. And just like the kings of old, hundreds and thousands of times before you, there will come a fall. There will. Ironically, it has just happened to Saul at this point in the text. And it's going to happen to David. The question is, can you learn from their past? Gordon MacDonald says it like this. Jesus knew, even Jesus knew his physical limits is what he's talking about. Jesus knew his physical limits. Well, I'm inserting the word physical, but that's what he's referencing. Strange as it may seem, he knew what we conveniently forget. Time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of inner strength and resolve. What is he talking about? You have to budget time, make time for it. I'm not asking you, do you find time this in your life to be before God? You make time to be before the Lord. Why? Why does Gordon MacDonald say this? In order to compensate for one's weaknesses when spiritual warfare begins. Dallas Willard says it like this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Carl Jung says it like this. Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. So as we get into this whole section on kings, on kings, you're going to watch I mean, you guys, we're going to enter into it, a whole section of scripture. You're going to watch these mighty men of old rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall. You're going to see an exhausted David stay home from war to stare at Bathsheba. And what should have been rest actually makes his life way worse. So the question is, good heart? How do you keep a good heart? Maybe the modern way to say it would be, how do you be a good leader? Good is defined by the Bible. How do you be a good leader? You ruthlessly work to push back the things that distract you from rhythms that keep your heart right with God. You ruthlessly work the things that want to encroach on your time with God, on, on before the Lord, on prayer, worship. You ruthlessly, I mean, they're coming at you in a million different ways. You ruthlessly work to keep that back at bay so you can be present with God. You refuse to go into spiritual amnesia. You refuse to let there be distance between you and God. I'm not asking you today, do you turn to the Lord when you're sick? Hopefully you do. I'm not asking you today, 
Do you turn to the Lord when you're worried about money? Hopefully you do. I'm not asking you today if you turn to the Lord when you're worried about broken friendships or a marriage that's in a hardship. Hopefully you do. I'm asking you today, do you keep turning to the Lord when you think all things are well? So here's the question I have to think about, for you to think about, you to pray about. What is encroaching in on your time with the Lord? And what can you do about it? What's encroaching on your time with the Lord? And what can you do about it? In fact, I highly encourage you, the next steps card, they're in the back of the chair. I'll let Josh take it. But reflect on this. Guys in the booth, leave this up for a second. This is a big deal. And it's a big deal that you're aware of this long before you're in desperation. What is encroaching in on your time with the Lord and what can you do about it? Lord, in your name, I ask that you would continue to speak in our hearts. I pray that we would actually learn from the kings of old. I pray that you give us the strength to not fall into the same temptations they do. Help us to see the cycle in our own life and help us to war against it. Help us to ruthlessly, as Dallas Willard says it, Lord, ruthlessly eliminate the hurry. And by hurry, what he means is the things that keep us from being present with you. We need to rightly order our priorities. In your glorious name, we need you on our bad days. And Lord, we are actually just as much in need of you on the days we think things are okay. In your wonderful name, let us not fall into spiritual amnesia. Let us not fall into arrogant autonomy and protect us from the evil one who's going to try to trip us up with the same tactics he's used thousands of times before. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps.